Welcome to Engage 360, Denver Seminary's podcast. Join us as we explore the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of scripture at work in our culture today. Hi, I'm Don Payne. I'm glad to be your host for Engage 360. Here we explore what it looks like to engage our culture and engage the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture. And I'm really eager for you to hear from this week's guest who will help us with that very exploration. Now, the challenge in introducing our guest this week is not so much where to start, but where to stop. Uh, she was named by Christianity Today as one of the top 50 women influencing today's church and culture. She's a highly sought-after author, speaker, leader, has authored more than 25 books on mothering, spiritual formation, and evangelism, the most recent of which is The Prayer Coin, Daring to Pray with Honest Abandon. Uh, for 20 years, she served as CEO of Mops International, Mothers of Preschoolers, and under her leadership, Mops grew from over 350 to over 400, 400, 4,000 groups. <laughs> that would be a lot of groups <laughs> throughout the United States and in 30 other countries. Uh, influencing over 100,000 moms every year. So welcome, Elisa Morgan. Hey, Don. Thanks for having me. So glad to have you here. Mm. I want to give you a little more background on Elisa uh, before uh, we turn her loose. Uh, Elisa received a Bachelor of Science from the University of Texas. I've known that for a long time, but in in what, by the way? Psychology. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've yeah. always known you had that degree, but I never knew what you studied. Yeah. Uh, she has a Master of Divinity from Denver Seminary, where, thankfully, she now serves on the Board of Trustees. Yeah. And parenthetically, I want to just give her a huge thanks and a shout out for that. Oh. Uh, our board of trustees serve on a voluntary basis, and their influence on all that we do at Denver Seminary is profound and often unrecognized. So I want to give her a, oh, a gosh, great thanks, thanks it's, for it's that. honor. Thanks. Elisa uh, co-hosts the syndicated radio program, Discover the Word. She writes regularly for our Daily Bread devotional, Married to Evan, has two grown children, two grandchildren. And I see something, and you probably know I pulled a lot of this. I pirated it from your website. Good job. Uh, but I had to footnote that, you know, since in an academic environment, we're all into footnotes. So I had to give you a verbal footnote there. Okay. Uh, so she's got a dog that I take it is some kind of a, you call it a rot, Rottweiler wannabe? Yeah, he's a Rotty wannabe. Yeah. Uh, okay. Wilson. He's Wilson. almost 13. Wow. And he's Rotty and Shepherd mix. And we just adopted another dog, and his name is Coach, and he's three years old, and he's a Rotty Beagle, a Regal. <laughs> okay i know let's okay. go with that right yes right so where'd the name wilson come from is that from the movie castaway you know that's pretty cute don um actually when we adopted him i couldn't figure out what to name him all day and he fell asleep like hours after we brought him home and this tennis ball fell out of his mouth i hadn't realized he'd been carrying it around all day and it said wilson and i went there you go the, yeah you and tom hanks yep there, <laughs> there you go well so um you kind of like staying really, really busy, don't you? I do. I do. Uh, in fact, Evan and I joke about it that if I'm not on high speed, my other, other speed is off and I get bored in the off speed. So yeah, I like to keep busy. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. What are you busy with currently? All the junk you just read, you know, most of that stuff. But, <laughs> so I do a lot of content creation right now. Okay. And, you know, I think all of us in different seasons in our lives kind of ebb and flow between what we love to do and maybe what we're built to do, and then the practical of, well, what can we actually make a living doing? You know, and there's this kind of tension. So for me recently, I've been just processing with God about 
I love doing what I'm doing, but I need some more people in my life. Could okay. we work on that? So just to kind of normalize it, you know, 40 years after I graduated from Denver Seminary, it's still kind of a puzzle piece of how do my strengths and the needs of the world come together and how mm-hmm. can God use me? Mm-hmm. I've, I've had this conversation with a lot of our students through the years that our vocation, our calling, is not something that we, we just figure out and kind of put in our pocket once for all, but it's like something that unfolds in paper-thin layers all throughout our lives. It's a great it stops. analogy, paper-thin layers. Yeah. And because it does form in that way, um, sometimes the changes and the callings shifts are imperceptible to us. And I think we just really have to stay attuned to ourselves and to our God. Yeah, that's well put, well put. I was looking at your website, and for listeners, you'll want to consult Elisa's website, elisamorgan.com. And I noticed uh, some some taglines that really caught my attention. Living really and really living on your website. Tell us a bit more about the backstory to that. Yeah. Um, the website, the Elisa Morgan Show, if you will, is only, <laughs> is only about 10 years old. Um, God, you know, called me into different kinds of ministries. I thought I was going to be a hospital chaplain and ended up actually never actually doing that. Instead, I served as a dean of women at a college, then did some Bible studies in my neighborhood, and then was invited to apply to become the first president of MOPS, where I served for 20 years, mothers mm-hmm. of preschoolers. And after that, um, just felt like God was really asking me to take who he's made me to be and kind of put it as a, a shingle out there. And so if you know anything about branding, you know, Denver Seminary's brand is really about engagement, mm-hmm. engaging the world with the life-changing truths of the gospel. You know, that's right. Denver Seminary's brand. Uh, what is the Elisa Morgan brand? You know, all of us are branded in a relationship with God, Scripture says, by love. They will know we're Christians by our love. You know, you know that you're children of God from First John 4 by being beloved. But I was like, well, what's my deal there? And honestly, Don, I, I just processed and prayed for a long time and thought reality, authenticity, saying it like it is, as much as I can be honest, that's what I want it to be about. And so thus this phrase, living really and really living. Okay, okay. And I, I take it that's the same with your blog, which is entitled... Really? Yes, yes. And the blog is a a fun thing. We do that once a week. It comes out every Tuesday. I love to platform other women and their voices. And so three weeks out of the month is a guest blogger, a a woman who's either never been published Hmm. and is passionate to begin to write, or someone who's well-known and our audience would enjoy. And then it's me the rest of the time. Just a short kind of thought, not a devotional so much as a a nugget to think about. And we do try to stay authentic and realistic in reality. Well, I can tell you that comes across. It really does in, in the speaking and in your writing. I hope so. I don't want to commend you. I just think that. we have way too many fakers out there <laughs> and way too many kind of formulaic approaches yeah. to the Christian life when in reality we're all in flux all the time, you know, hopefully taking one step closer to Jesus every mm-hmm. day. Sometimes mm-hmm. three back, right. <laughs> and then yeah. maybe a couple more But a more few close. forward here and there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I said that comes through in your books, and I have here in front of me a number of uh, your books, these 25 books you've written. Which of these is your favorite? Mm-hmm. Everyone was when I was writing. <laughs> or maybe <laughs> it, I hated it when I was writing. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you're right. Um, I'm grateful for all of them. They're all a snippet of my voice. Um, I think... She Did What She Could has been 
it's so cookies on the bottom shelf in terms of the story of Mary of Bethany that Jesus said she did what she could, and her story's going to be told every time the gospel is proclaimed. And what she did was anoint Jesus in a moment. She recognized his deity out of her personal relationship with him, and she proclaimed it to all who were there. And I, I love that reality of Jesus didn't praise Mary for doing all she could and then falling spent in a heap at his feet. He praised her for doing what she could and that what was unique and specific and just right in that moment. And that guides me forward every day. You know, what is the what that I can offer in this moment? Hmm. On that theme of authenticity and and, and and being real, I've, I'm impressed at how you approach that, how you really reflected that in your most recent book, The Prayer Coin. Mm. Um, now, I also have to make another confession. When I saw the title, I thought it was going in a different direction. What did you think? Um, at, at first blush, yeah. I thought it was going to be like some kind of a formula, a, a, the prayer coin. You drop the coin in the machine. You know, you get the punch the right button, get the right goods out of God. And I saw the title and I thought, that doesn't sound like something Elisa would write. But it puzzled me. And then as I got into it, I thought, oh, okay, I, now I, I get it. Now, That's I get great. It. That's great. I'm so yeah. glad you're straight up about that. It's interesting. It's only been out a, a short while and we're actually looking at retitling it. I think people stumble on it. The prayer coin means daring to pray with honest and abandon. It's a two-sided prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, mm-hmm. where he prayed, take this cup. That's the honest side. I don't want to go to the cross, yet not my will. That's the abandoned side mm-hmm. of what do you want, God? And when you look at that prayer and realize that Jesus prayed it repeatedly, three of the four Gospels contain it, and it's a repeated prayer, it's probably, without a doubt, the most often prayer we have of Jesus. We're thinking about retitling it when we pray like Jesus, hmm. which also can be off-putting because, like, how can I? But that's the point. Jesus invited his first-century disciples in the garden to join him. Bless their sweethearts. They dipped and dozed. They were afraid. They were full. They were tired. They were, their heads were reeling. But he invited those first-century disciples to join him in that prayer, and I think he invites us to as well. So we can pray like Jesus with this kind of honest and abandoned, two-sided prayer coin kind of thing. Well, I have to tell you, I was really, as I got into it, I was really moved by that, and it's already begun to challenge my own prayer life in some really good ways. And it's clear from what you wrote and how you wrote it that it was this, this was growing out of some, own, some transformative moments in your own prayer journey. It's expensive to learn anything (laughs) about about prayer, you know. Um, Yeah, I I think we tend to pray one side or the other. We either pray honest all the time, blah, 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 God, this is what I want, blah, blah, blah. Or we pray abandon all the time. Oh, God, it doesn't matter what I want. What do you want here? And I think Jesus' model of praying both and back and forth, flipping back and forth, take this cup, yet not my will. And then he prays again, take this cup, yet not my will. And he keeps doing that. As I've begun to practice that, I realize that it, Jesus' prayer was forged in a crucible garden where he developed even greater intimacy with his father. And I think that's what he, that's why he prayed that model for us, that we would learn to spend that kind of currency Mm-hmm. to develop really an intimacy that he died to provide for mm-hmm. us to enjoy. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you that one, as I got into the book, 
one word that captured my attention more than any other early on was on page 12, and it's the word ugh. <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's a very deep theological it, word. It is a deep theological <laughs> word. It's a 50-cent theological <laughs> word. I may use it in class today. You're welcome Who knows? to. It's not yeah, copyright. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but the, the prelude to uh, the word, you say in John 18, 1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them what they should always pray and not give up. We ratchet up our efforts with consistency and sincerity. Sometimes we see results. Sometimes we don't. Ugh. (laughs) Yeah, and we think it's all about us doing it right, Mm -hmm. which is why I'm glad you talked about that initial impression of, is this a formulaic tokenism? Uh, That's what we constantly reduce our Christian relationship to with Jesus, you know, kind of a tokenism. We're so into transaction. We're so into doing it right and seeing the results. And wow, it's not that. It's all about intimacy. Mm. It's all about embracing what God has been literally dying to give us every day. Right, right. All all of this really and very obviously reflects uh, a long journey uh, where you've wrestled with these things. You've you struggled through them in your own journey. You've struggled through them in ministry with other people. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> Maybe I'll write a book called Ugh. Uh, you know, you're welcome. That'll that'll be the next book. Okay. Um, how how was it that you found your? And you go back historically a little bit. How how did you find your way to seminary to Denver Seminary? What did you think you would be doing hmm. when when you started that journey? Yeah. Um, honestly, I. I'd known God all my life. My mom would drop us off at our local Presbyterian church in Houston, Texas, and I loved God. But it was when I was about 16 through the ministry of Young Life that I found out that I can actually have a relationship with God and how. And so I happily just lapped that up. I I dated a guy all through high school and college, and to our surprise, we broke up at the end of college. It just was clear that we weren't to continue. And I was like, well, now what do I do, (laughs) kind of a thing. And I thought about when have I felt the most alive? And it was, ironically, when I was in college doing an independent study on death and dying. (laughs) And I was assisting a hospital chaplain. And I knew God had hand in me. And I I thought, all right, I'm going to seek that out. And so I enrolled at Denver Seminary Mm. to become a hospital chaplain, which I actually never actually have been. I've done a lot of work in hospitals. Um, But that's kind of how I, I I come from a broken family, broken through divorce and alcoholism and a bunch of other stuff. And so this is part of the Elisa story. And it's, it's all in another book called The Beauty of Broken. I met and married Evan, my husband, when I was a student at seminary, and we knew we couldn't have children biologically, so we began the process of adoption. We adopted first one child and and then another babies. And then when they were in their preschool years is when I began in the presidency of MOPS. Ironically, I thought, Lord, you can't possibly want me here when they called to see if I'd apply. And so I honestly doubled up my therapy sessions. Uh, <laughs> and to try I, to get out of it. Yeah, no, just to figure out what's this about, God. And I found myself in the, the grocery store one day with my toddlers climbing out of the cart. And I felt the Lord nudging me and look, said, looking at all those other moms around you, Elisa, you know, look at who they are. And I found the same kind of Swiss cheese holes in their souls that were in mine. And I sensed that God was saying to me, give me your deficits and I'll make them your offering. 
And that, I didn't understand exactly what that would mean, but I didn't know how to be a mother. I'd never even been pregnant. You know, I'm a mother through adoption. I come from a broken family, but I began to climb up on what I called a platform of vulnerability, Mm -hmm. going, I don't know what the poop I'm doing. Poop's a good word, mops. You know, we didn't know, (laughs) nobody knows what we're doing as parents. Every time we're first timers at it. And so I began to talk about that. And that's where the, the hunger was in the moms of just this acknowledgement. And so this authenticity, this honesty, this calling to a platform of just being who we are and quit faking it so much. And then boom, when my own family began to fall and break, the Lord began to use me more even in, than when I thought I was whole. I thought I could create a perfectly intact second family. Mm. Because I had Jesus, you know, I had the answer. Yeah. And our, our family began to struggle through teen pregnancy, through addictions, through some legal issues, just through some suffering. And I began to understand, oh, it took forever, like 10 years at least, that God, when we give him our brokenness, which all of us have, I don't care how well you know Jesus, you're not insulated from the UG. Okay, we all have that. When we give him our brokenness, instead of disqualifying us, it can actually, in his hands, further qualify us. Mm. And that's what I've begun to understand. And so most of your ministry, or all of your ministry, has in one way or another been an unfolding of that. It has. In various directions. Yeah. Just, I, I remember when I left MOPS, just sensing that I would, had completed God's desire for me to contribute there and that it was time for the next generation of leaders Mm -hmm. to take the mantle, so to speak. I remember blogging about the dismantling of Elisa. (laughs) It's just, it was so ironic and true. And, And I struggled for a long time because I had been so attached to such a vibrant ministry where truly millions of moms had been affected. And I began to feel, I think what a lot of us feel when we leave a position of influence. Well, now what? And who am I now? Yeah, who who am I? Yeah. And and I sensed God showing me that I was trying to attach like Velcro to all these other things to to regain my stability and significance. And I sensed him, similar to how he talked about my deficits early, early, early in my ministry. Now in my latter years of ministry, he was really wooing me to attach myself to him. Okay. So that's where I've been. And he's, he's still using me with people and stuff, but there's been a reorientation inside me of where I belong and from what my center is that I give out, you know, this connection, vine to branch kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've got a thread line going here, <clears throat> pardon me, with some of the unexpected things that God uses to, to really transform us, um, certainly unwelcome things at times. Um, I think that same thing happens uh, in what we learn about ministry, what we learn about people through the act of ministry. Uh, let me explain that a little better, mm-hmm. I hope. <laughs> when, w- whenever we engage in some form of service, some form of ministry, I, th- I think we discover things that we did not know were going to be there. We, you know, we go into various ministries assuming we're going to be the giver. We have something that other people need, which may be true in some respects. But then the act of ministry, whatever the ministry is, unfolds what the real needs are and teaches us Mm -hmm. something that we did not know. And I'm really curious, what have you learned about people? What have been the the game changer moments for you? 
as you have led, written, spoken around the world. How has that changed yeah. you? You know, there's zillions of lessons. In fact, when I left MOPS, I created a, a list of 20 lessons from 20 years about leadership. And it was so helpful. I kept track of them to, to kind of put them in one place and hold on to them. The things like ministry and management and money all go together. And, you know, those kinds of things. So there's a, a list of leadership lessons. But probably the overarching formative lesson would be that God cares just as much, if not more, about what he's doing in us as what he's doing through us. That was a surprise to you? It's stunning. Yeah, because I'm I'm an achiever on the Enneagram, if you will, and that's a, a personality test that shows our, our core direction we're pointed at, and I love to achieve. So I would think, and if you look at, you know, how we value people in our Americans, how we value people in our American society, it is a lot about results. Mm -hmm. Um, But as I, as I began to lead and continued and even led others and watched God forming them, it became abundantly clear to me that he cared just as much, if not more, about what was happening inside me and who I was. And, and as, as we would launch other women and men into other ministries, you know, they'd steal them away from our staff kind of thing. Yeah. I would just get incensed until the Lord began to show me, yeah, this is part of the process. Every Christian ministry is about equipping people, and sometimes your own, your own staff will become pioneers and evangelists that are transplanting mission elsewhere. And so view people with great honor and care and love, but hold them loosely as I form them maybe at your hand and form you as you relinquish. So yeah, it did surprise me and I'm really grateful for it now. I think that may be one of the most difficult things for a lot of us to learn is to be open-handed with our ministries because Mm -hmm. we get attached to them. Mm -hmm. We grab onto them for a variety of reasons and to be to be generative, to be open-handed with those and realize that uh, part of our ministries is, or maybe all of our ministry is always to be given away. I think we've been duped a little bit, especially in our society, about, well, with all the nonprofits and parachurch organizations, but even with churches and the legacy of these, we forget that our mission is not the mission. The mission, if you go back to Good Acts, yeah, if you go back to Acts and you look at all of the original missionaries and go back to Jesus and, and Luke and you know all the places he talked about going out, sending us out two by two or however, the mission is the gospel. So wherever we go, that's the core mission. And we do get, I think, Don, as you're saying, a little too attached to our little corner of the pie, you know, our little slice of the pie when that's part of it, mm-hmm. but it's only a part of it. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit, if we can, about your experience at Denver Seminary. Mm. You, you came to seminary to be a hospital chaplain <laughs> and never did it. Yeah. And, and that actually turns out to be very, very typical in my experience with people who come to seminary. Um, God ends up using that as a platform, a launching point, perhaps an intersection that will go in an entirely different direction than what they had anticipated. How, how is it in your own reflections that uh, your seminary education has has actually shaped what you have done mm. rather than what you thought you would do. It's a, you- a little bit similar to what we just talked about with the mission, you know, that we are all called to Jesus. And then how do we express that call 
in our calling, you know, that we live out is very unique and not always the same from day to day and year to year. So I knew I was called to God and I thought to something that it wasn't exactly. But yeah, I I think um, I remember coming up here to interview and Vernon Grounds was the president back in the day. And I remember meeting in his office with his cane stacked horizontally on the wall above his head. He had a collection of walking sticks and canes. And I I knew nothing. Don, I I couldn't even say the books of the Bible. I still can. I'm so grateful there's an index in the Bible. But anyway, (laughs) I I didn't know anything. I didn't know words like homiletics or hermeneutics or even theology. And Vernon talked to me. He goes, you know, honestly, the the program's full right now. And I just, I was crestfallen. I thought that God was leading me here. And then twinkly-eyed Vernon goes, but rules are made to be broken. <laughs> and so he just said, Vintage. I know, right? Vintage Vernon. And I moved up uh, to Colorado from Houston, and I didn't know even where I was going to live. And I was introduced through my relationship with Young Life to a couple from Dallas who actually were also beginning, and they invited me to live in their house with them as a single woman. And these step by step by step of God's provision has been amazing. And what's been really unique, I think, about my experience with Denver Seminary is that while I went here for three years and got a degree, I married a man who was a student who left the seminary in completing, not completing his degree, and went back into the secular workforce. He went into banking. But then when Haddon Robinson became the president after Vernon, Haddon called Evan to become his VP of business. So I Evan, know that piece. Yeah. So Evan served here for 13 years as the VP of business and then of advancement under Haddon Robinson. During that time, I was in between. I was at home waiting for kids. Haddon asked me if I would do a radio program for the seminary, which I did for four years called Considerations. It was nationally syndicated, so Mm -hmm. I became the voice of the seminary. Can't believe he would allow me to do that. He could have done it in 10 seconds, but he stewarded me, and he mentored me. Every month he met with me and went over all my scripts and released me. After that, I went to Mops and served there. It's an amazing—and now to look at this, I've been on the board here for eight years or so. In other words, I've had a 40-year relationship with Denver Seminary. Who knew? I giggle when I drive up here to go to a board meeting. I think, don't they know I'm the girl from Texas who doesn't know the books of the Bible? You know, <laughs> I'm going to tell. Okay. <laughs> you can. And actually, Haddon and Alice Matthews were the co-hosts of Discover the Word. I remember that. For 20 years. Yeah. And as I segued into becoming a part of that ministry. So Denver Seminary has had a very long fingerprint and deep fingerprint on my life. Well, and your fingerprint's there too. I hope you know that. Mm. As you look ahead, what do you see um, down the road as some of the big challenges that are going to be facing the church, facing Mm. people who are headed into various forms of ministry, particularly as we think of what a redemptive engagement looks like? Mm. What do you think's ahead of us? I think culture is really challenging for the church, and I think we need to be super careful to not get all tied up in knots over lifestyle, over society's inclusion or exclusion. And I think we need to remember who we are, the beloved of God. And by that, that means we are people that God has chosen to love and rescue from our sin. 
And that means, says, as God's beloved, we are to be love in his world. That's hard. It's hard to love people who are different from us. It's hard to be so polarized in our world of right and wrongness. And so when it gets hard to be love in our world, I think we need to remember to be loved by our God. We don't have to change people. We don't have to control people. We don't have to fix people. We need to love people. For task-oriented people like you and me, that's a tough word to hear. It is. We don't have to fix people. It is. But it's the truth. And the older we get, maybe the more freeing this call and command can be to us. If mm. we really want to engage the needs of our world with a redemptive possible with the redemptive power of the gospel, well, we need to live loved. We need mm. to be what God says we are, beloved. Yeah. Well, what a great note to wind down on. Before we end. I want to ask you some really dumb questions. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this is my random, irrelevant. Oh, good. You've got to have this at the end of any podcast. You know, Perfect. You, you just do. Mm-hmm. You just do. Now, at the risk of um, putting yourself in the same predicament that former President Bush got in when he made a statement about broccoli, what's the, <laughs> what is the food that you find most disgusting? Oh, gosh. Hot dogs. That's a How real girl you? thing to say. How I know, dare I know, you? I know, I know. Oh, I, I regret know. that I asked that question. Especially with sauerkraut. Oh. Yeah. That's going to ruin my day. <laughs> <laughs> you know what's in them, right? I do. Okay. But right. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Good. Enjoy. What do your friends love to make fun of you for? My voices. I have a lot of sound effects, you know, like that kind of thing or beep, beep, beep. I love sound effects. So Those really work well when you speak in public. They do. I, I love to do that. And, you know, here's my my secret ambition. I'm getting so old. Instead of having a secret, I say it almost every time I have the chance. Maybe one day it'll happen. I would love to be an animated voice in a cartoon. Okay. Can I please be one? My name is Lulu. <laughs> That really answers the next question okay, I was going to ask you, which is if, if you got to do something, that would be it. anything other than what you currently do, what would it be? That would and be that it. would be it. Mm-hmm. Animated voices. Yep. Animated voices. Wow. Okay. <laughs> that is too much fun. What's the most interesting place you've ever visited? Other than Texas. Yeah, other than Texas. You know, we just <laughs> took a 40-year anniversary trip to the north side of France, to Normandy. and to Bayou, France, and uh, saw the beaches of Omaha and where the invasion was from the Allies, and it was really powerful and probably the most powerful and unsuspecting place we stood, along with all the expected ones, was a little church where paratroopers ended up parachuting in, and the Germans were right there and shot everybody down. It was crazy, and two medics came from separate sides to the church, put a red cross on it, and attended to the wounded, both from the Allies and from the Germans. Really? And I was really impressed at the detail of God's care and his presence and the amazing courage of the men and women who really struggled for freedom there. Wow, wow. That's, That's thick. Elisa, thank you for carving out this time you bet, to Don. be with us. I always enjoy crossing paths with you because you encourage just by your presence and mm. your way. 
Thank you. I want to encourage everybody to check out Elisa's website, elisamorgan.com, and her blog, Really. This has been Engage 360 from Denver Seminary, and you can find us on your favorite podcast platform or connect with us through the Denver Seminary website, where you can also find out a lot more about who we are and what we do to train people to engage the needs of the world with the redemptive power of the gospel and the life-changing truth of Scripture. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll check in next week for another conversation. Take care.